This is the Negotiate X podcast, show number four. So, Nolan, let me ask you, what was your very first negotiation in life? Um, to borrow my dad's truck to take it out. Uh, no, earlier than that, before that. To stay out later with my friends. Even earlier in life, my friend. <laughs> um, like baby? Like that young? Yeah, there you go. Now you're getting there. Um, food. Crying, you know, crying because I'm hungry. That's it. That's it. And and how did you let your parents know you wanted to be fed? I'd cry. Yep. And if that didn't work, then what would you do? I'd cry louder. <laughs> That'd <laughs> fit. Yeah, I, I bet I bet you would pitch a fit. You know what? Some some people never learn to negotiate differently than that. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Welcome to another episode of the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-host and co-founder, and with me today is Aram Denijan. Aram, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. Hello, everybody. I'm a little exhausted, so I apologize if I come through like that. I've got three foster puppies that are eight weeks old, and they are running my life. So Wow. I know. I think, uh, <laughs> I, think I have a better understanding of what it must be like to have six kids running around. So. <laughs> well, at least, at least the kids I can talk to and, and try to reason with, or, or as I like to say, negotiate with. I don't know what you do with three puppies, my friend. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I do is to try and keep them busy with their own toys so they don't chew up everything, and uh, it's a mess. All right, so our goal for today is to kind of build on what we talked about in the last show, and that was the seven elements of negotiation. Just as a little reminder, those were relationship, communication, interest, options, legitimacy, alternatives, and commitment. That's right, Nolan. As we mentioned last time, we use these elements to prepare. And I'll just remind everybody, you can download for free prep sheet at negotiatex.com backslash prep. But we also use these elements when making choices in negotiation, how we conduct the negotiation, how we measure a successful outcome, and also as we review our negotiations. Yeah, I'm excited for today's episode because we're going to focus on some of those process choices you're referring to and how we use those elements during a negotiation. So, Aram, why is this important? Well, maybe our listeners might remember, recall uh, a couple episodes ago when we spent some time talking about the power of mindset and how our assumptions and our mindset drives the actions we take and how those actions ultimately lead to the results we get. When different methods of negotiation are used, and we're going to call these things systems of negotiation or negotiation systems for today, the result is can be very, you know, vastly different outcomes. So by understanding those systems, how we negotiate, we can actually get better or more effective outcomes and results. Yeah, and better results leads to more value, which is one of the core tenets in Negotiate X. 
that through the podcast and negotiation principles we teach, that you are able to deliver true value to your organization, business, and life. Yeah, absolutely, Nolan. All right, so let's do it. Let's jump into it. What's a common negotiation system? I think last time you talked about how many people fixate on alternatives and commitments and so on. Yeah, a very common form of negotiation that people will be very familiar with is what's called positional bargaining. It only involves the two elements of commitments and alternatives. Uh, It's going to sound familiar. One party starts artificially high or maybe really high. The other party starts low. They go back and forth. You know, might sound like, well, for you, I could do this. I guess I could come down this far. They go back and forth. At some point, they might remind the other party gently, subtly, or maybe not so subtly, that they have alternatives or things that I can go do without you. This often sounds like a threat. They may actually walk out of the room, whether it's real or fake, and then they either come back perhaps and split the difference somewhere in between, or they actually don't reach an agreement and walk away. Yeah, so I think you know, some people would call this a win-win where both sides are giving up something to get to a, you know, negotiated outcome. What what do you think about that? Well, I, I call that a lose-lose. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people who, uh, when they start with this process, they think a win-win is about us both giving up something. But again, that's because they're kind of focused on positions and I, you know, what, what I want versus interest, as we talked about in the last episode. And if I focus on interest, my underlying needs, fears, concerns, and motivations, well, maybe I can find a creative way for both of us to get our goals and objectives met rather than simply compromising between, between two positions. Positional bargaining is kind of what you're talking about there. Is there, when can you use it? It can't be bad all the time, is it? Yeah, you know, in fact, as we talk about these systems of negotiation, I I don't like to say bad or wrong. I just like to call them, uh, you know, more effective in certain circumstances. So positional bargaining. um, Yeah, you know, it doesn't require a ton of preparation. It can be pretty, you know, simple or useful and, you know, simple, low stakes, transactional sort of arrangements. It's incredibly familiar. And so it doesn't take any explanation to the other party, you know, because pretty much, um, you know, Anyone anywhere has played this game uh, of you know haggling at some point in their life. In fact, I like to joke that it's it's the first negotiation we all had. So, Nolan, let me ask you: What was your very first negotiation in life? Um, to borrow my dad's truck to take it out. Uh, no, earlier than that. Before that, to stay out later with my friends. Even earlier in life, my friend. <laughs> um. Like baby, like that young? Yeah, there you go. Now you're getting there. Um, food, crying, you know, crying because I'm hungry. That's it. That's it. And and how did you let your parents know you wanted to be fed? I'd cry. Yeah. And if that didn't work, then what would you do? I'd cry louder. <laughs> I'd pitch a fit. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet I bet you would pitch a fit. You know what? Some some people never learn to negotiate differently than that. They make demands when their demands don't get met. They use threats. They, they, they speak louder and they, they, they send warnings that um, they need to get their positions met or they're going to walk away. So positional bargaining or in the language of the seven elements that we introduced during episode three, the use of alternatives and commitments to get what we want. 
it has some significant limitations, right? It tends to reward deceptiveness, stubbornness, deceit. It, it often, you know, it doesn't necessarily lead to real meaningful conversations. It, it can actually damage relationships. It clearly doesn't generate new out-of-the-box solutions. And even when you get a solution, those solutions are often arbitrary. And um, one of my biggest concerns is that it doesn't necessarily satisfy our interests. So there's this possibility that by positionally bargaining, we're solving for the wrong problem. And I don't like doing that when I negotiate. Yeah. So in a negotiation, how many different ways can someone negotiate? Well, there's, there's actually over 725,000 different ways to negotiate. That's, oh man, you can't be making up numbers like that on the air like this. You're going to turn people off and they're not even going to listen to us. That can't be true. Well, okay. So here's how I get that number. When you look at the different possible solutions and the different ways you can use seven different things, uh, and you can use each of the seven elements in four to five, some cases, six different ways. You can sequence them differently. So some systems of negotiation use all seven elements. Some use only one or two elements. And again, you can how you order them is going to be a different system of negotiation. Actually, um, you do all the combination and permutations of those numbers. You come out with uh, a number just over 725,000. Well, so I've seen the books that say you know, top 100 ways to negotiate. If there's 725,000 different ways to negotiate, is it better for me to try and memorize those top 100? Like kind of what's the best way to approach this? So, so Nolan, no, you're never going to memorize 725,000 different ways to negotiate. And what I would tell you is those books with the top 100 ways to negotiate, while those may be common forms of negotiation, they're also a little misleading because the moment you meet person X who negotiates using system of negotiation 101, you're, you're stuck. And so you, you don't know what to do. So the good news is, you don't have to memorize any forms of negotiation, really. You just you just need to know what elements you're using, be able to recognize what elements the other party's using, and then be able to make choices about, you know, how do I want to negotiate to achieve my goals and aims? Yeah, so if I were to write a book of the 725,000 different ways to negotiate, would you read it? <laughs> um, it would be a pretty... It, it, well, it depends. It would be either a really long book or as we'll try to explain it, it would be a fairly simple, uh, simple book. But since you wrote it, since you wrote it, Nolan, yes, I would read your book. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. All right. So are there other common negotiation systems and kind of, can you give us some examples? Yeah, I would say every element of negotiation has some uh, systems of negotiation that are fairly similar for it or, or common to it. So lock-in, the game of lock-in, this tends to be a commitments game. It's really tied to the level of authority. I lock into a commitment. Gee, I wish I could help you, but I can't. This is the this is the form of negotiation we often see being used by airlines, right? When, they, when you're trying to rebook a flight, and they're like, ah, my hands are tied. Sometimes you see legitimacy there too. So it's not just about authority and commitment. I can't do this. I can't do this because here's a standard. So you see legitimacy get pulled in, right? It's not our, it's not our company policy or whatever else. The game of chicken, 
right? Uses threats, which is really, well, you know, if, if you don't do what I want, I'm willing to make you hurt really badly, supplier. Sure, that's going to hurt us too, but we'll see who survives this, right? Because I'm, I'm bigger. So the game of chicken is a focus on threats. Menu, uh, menu picking. Uh, I like this one. Uh, I've seen this one in action. This is a focus on options, right? This is where I understand what your concerns are. I go back and come up with a list of proposals for you that I think are going to meet your interests really well. And then I come back and say, uh, pick one. It's a very common options game. Unfortunately, it doesn't engage the other, other team in problem solving, the other person in problem solving. So that's one of the downfalls to it. Appeasement, extortion, favors and ledgers. These are all relationship games. And every form of negotiation has some pros and certainly some cons. So what is favors and ledgers? Or what'd you say? Favorites and ledgers? <laughs> Favor favors and ledgers, right? So it's it's, you know. You say, hey, Aram, if, if you can do this for me, you do this one podcast for me, uh, I will owe you a hundred, uh, you know, utils of value, whatever they are, I will owe you. And so I say, great, Nolan, I will do it. And then I say, um, I say, hey, Nolan, you know what? I want to utilize those, the value that I, that you, you know, like credit I have with you. I want you to fly up and, and, and watch my kids. And you're like, man, that's a heck of a lot more than, than, than what it was that I, you know, I exchanged the, the did for you or what you did for me. And so the problem with a game like Fav Favors and Ledgers, where, you know, we're kind of keeping track of, of what we do for each other, is that without good communication and, you know, and managing the perceptions around what's the value of the favor, things can get really out of whack quickly and actually damages the relationship. So we end up making one-sided commitments a lot of times playing that game. All right, so now I know our listeners are are wondering, is there a better way to negotiate? I know that our colleagues over at Vantage Partners have the circle of value. So how does that come into play? Yeah, so the circle of value is a joint problem-solving approach. Some folks would refer to it as principled negotiation. I like uh, thinking about it as joint problem-solving or the circle of value name. And it really begins by first trying to build the relationship that you want using good communication and process to direct the negotiation. Then you enter in what's called the circle of value. That's not the circle of life for all my, uh, you know, Lion King fans. And it's not the circle of trust. If you are a meet the parents fan, it's called the circle of value because once you get inside the circle, this is where you uncover interests, collaborate to create options and then jointly assess those options using standards of legitimacy. This is where the role of the negotiator isn't just simply to split up the pie, but actually to increase the amount of value, to increase the, the pie. And, and I would remind everybody, this is an iterative process. When you get inside the circle, this is an iterative process. As I discover more interests, I can develop more options. As I assess my options, I'm going to come back and realize there's interests that aren't being met. So, Finally, at some point, we step out of the circle once a suitable agreement can be reached and the two parties will move to commitment and they will say, great, what are we going to do to implement this? And if after this iterative process um, involving brainstorming and covering interests, measuring by fair objective criteria, we can't reach an objective, uh, then we go with our alternatives. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty lengthy process and, and probably not one that many people are familiar with. Yeah, I, well, I think those that's true. And I think in terms of familiarity, I think the wise negotiator takes the time to educate their counterpart on the, the negotiation process they're trying to follow. 
And then in terms of timing, you know, the truth is, is that the time it takes to do these things that we're talking about really isn't any longer than, say, someone who is constantly renegotiating because they're using positional bargaining, coming up with a uh, an ineffective or, or poor solution, and not or or not just poor positional bargaining, but really any of the other forms of of negotiation we've talked about. So, real world, kind of, what's an example of of this? Yeah, so there's a story I like to tell, and I'll try to tell it quickly. I was operating in Afghanistan. We were trying to get provincial governors to take action at, um, in, you know, around security and counter-corruption measures at borders and airport checkpoints. And so we had one provincial governor in particular we wanted to work with. And, and the, the trouble was is we couldn't get him to, to even come to the table and, and meet with us. Uh, we had, you know, zero relationship. So what I did was I just spent a lot of time thinking about the problem from his perspective. And I tried to put myself into his shoes. And then I wrote a note to the contact we had for him. And I said, you know, if you'd allow me, I'd like to, based on my understanding of your problem uh, and the situation, I'd like to bring a media team to, to discuss with you some of the, the effective stuff that's going on in your province. To which I actually got a response, and not from one of his staffers, but actually from him. And so I got a meeting. And during that meeting, face-to-face, I was actually able to start developing the relationship. I actually shared a note with him. We conversed, and I was able to talk to him a little bit about just the fact that I cared how he saw things and that I was taking the time to do that. He could trust me. And so a number of things there, working on a relationship, working on communication, sharing that I was thinking about his concerns, getting creative with what we might do around joint inspections, low-level prosecution of stuff, of criminal behavior, and you know, continued meetings and follow-up, media coverage of, of effective things. Some had great precedent, some did not, but we were able to do an evaluation. We came up with a solid solution, something we were able to implement, and we, we went from having someone we could never get in contact with to someone who met with us routinely. The punchline, like the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, was after I left Afghanistan and I'd been, I'd been back home in the US, on Christmas Eve, after I'd been returned, I actually got a Christmas card from this provincial governor. And I like to tell folks, if, if I can practice this circle of value approach and totally change the nature of the relationship and how two people, two parties interact with each other, and I can get a Christmas card um, <laughs> from, from an Afghan governor. This stuff works, and you can put this to this put this into practice with your very toughest supplier or vendor or client or whoever it might be. Yeah, I think that's uh, an awesome, awesome uh, story there for the the circle of value approach. I mean, that's pretty powerful that you're able to to get a Christmas card. I don't think I've ever gotten a Christmas card by any counterpart or anyone I've worked with downrange. So. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send you one this next year, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. That kind of wraps up the show here. I, I want to jump into some takeaways, if that's good for you, Aram. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so this podcast is all about action and kind of delivering value to your business organization and life. So what are some key takeaways from this show that our negotiate our audience is going to use to become better negotiators? Yeah, I'd like our listeners to recognize they have choices in negotiation, that there's many ways to negotiate and how you choose to negotiate will have a profound impact on the results you achieve. 
So the circle of value approach that we've talked about can help you achieve both outstanding substantive solutions as well as great relationship outcomes, building the relationship that we want going forward. It all empowers you as a negotiator to be both aggressive and collaborative. And those are things that people often feel attention between. You don't have to choose between the two of them. You can build a relationship and you can do well. You can be aggressive and you can be collaborative. Consider getting some more information from us and practicing something different in your next negotiation. Yeah, Dan, it's a great, great takeaway there. And my only takeaway for our audience is to head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star rating. We are growing quickly. We have a lot more people that have been downloading the podcast and listening to it. So it really helps us out to have other people find this podcast and ultimately to become a better negotiator. So that is it from us today on the NegotiateX podcast. If you have any ideas or something that you want us to cover in future episodes, you can shoot us an email at team at negotiatex.com for any of the resources from today's episode. You can go to negotiatex.com slash four for show four. And I think that's it. Until next time. Oh, nope. I did that. Did that again. We will see you in the next episode. Yeah, so I keep doing that. That's that's how uh, my old boss finishes his podcast. So I keep <laughs> until until next time. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.